0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. This is Peter Ravella, the co-host of the show. And this is Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. Tyler, anytime we get in the ocean and the coastal issues, uh, the complexity is overwhelming. And there has to be a vision. There has to be a way to understand what's happening in the real world. And it's all about being able to measure and collect data to understand what is happening out there in the water, in the bathymetry, in the currents, and the complexity of the marine environment, fast-moving, dynamic, in motion. How the hell do you get a handle
1: on that, Tyler? Well, we were just learning about this at the uh, the Ocean Exploration Forum. Yes. And just how important data exploration is going to be in describing the, the ocean and the coast going forward. In a way, what the future of exploration is, ocean exploration is, is data exploration. And uh today we're going to get to meet a firm. You know, so much of this work is conducted by uh even the work that NOAA is paying for and that Boehm is paying for and that are the US that our tax dollars are going toward the public exploration, a lot of this is being done through Uh, amazing contractors, companies that are pioneering new technologies and new methods for mapping and exploring the ocean so that we can describe what's happening on our coast.
0: Right on and I think you know whether you're building a project or trying to assess the potential impacts of an opportunity on the coast, uh, great data, great science is the foundation of every good decision. Without it Uh, public decision makers cannot make the right choices. And so that's the focus of the show today. We have an incredible panel from GeoDynamics, an NV5 company. Joining us on the American Shoreline podcast today is Kurt Allen. He's the NV5 geospatial vice president and in the hydrospatial section of the company. Also joining us, Salone Freeman. She is the director of operations at GeoDynamics and one of the old friends of the podcast rudy rudolph formerly with carteret county uh shoreline management who is now the uh, spatial project leader and business development leader for geodynamics Uh, so and the other cool thing tyler is nv5 and geodynamics have joined as a sponsor of coastal news today and the american shoreline podcast network and we're just thrilled to have them as a supporter of what we do on our network
2: the american shoreline podcast network and coastalnewstoday.com are brought to you by LJA Engineering, with 28 offices along the Gulf Coast, the folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numerical modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. Be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter at CoastalNewsToday.com for daily updates on the events and news that shape the coastal discussion. Want to support the discussion and promote your company? We have sponsorship packages available now. Email me to learn more at chloe at com. That's C-H-L-O-E at coastalnewstoday.com. Hope to hear from you and enjoy the show.
0: Well, panel, welcome to the American Shoreline podcast, and thank you for joining us to talk about one of our favorite subjects, which is the foundational science that governs the future of the American shoreline. Uh, Thank you very much, and uh, we'd like to ask everybody to do a little quick roundtable and introduce yourselves to our listeners.
3: Starting with you, Kurt. Thank you. Um, this is Kurt Allen. I'm with NB5 uh, and uh, been with NB5, well, NB5 legacy companies for 31 years, actually, um, and i uh, really, really thrilled that we have acquired um, Geodynamics. We acquired them last March, and I am the vice president in charge of helping them with business development and making sure that their integration comes off smoothly, and it has thus far.
1: Well, no doubt that is uh, an exciting maneuver here, Uh, mapping, using these modern technologies to understand what's going on on the planet is absolutely an exciting space. And in the hydrospatial space, it's particularly exciting now. Uh, Sloan, would you kind of give us a bit about your background and how you came to co-found the company?
2: Sure. Um, Thanks so much for having us, first of all. Um, Yeah. um, my husband, Chris Freeman and I uh, founded the company about 22 years ago. We're located on the middle of the North Carolina coast where there's a bunch of marine labs and um, academic marine science and um, decided that we would try to use some of the newer technologies that were coming, becoming commercially available, including multi-beam sonar and RTK GPS and start to use those technologies and, and to support the private sector basically to allow um, engineering companies and um, regional coastal management to have access to some of the tools that previously the federal government and research sector were, were only able to use. So, well, yeah.
0: Well, it, it, it fabulous company. Uh, congratulations on the acquisition by NV5 Sloan. Uh, must be a, a big day for you and, uh, and and your team to join a company of the caliber of NV5. And bringing along with you one of my favorite coastal managers, and I, I honestly say this, is I think Rudy Rudolph is the premier coastal management expert in America when it comes to managing shorelines at the local level. Uh, it, it, the model of of his work is has been phenomenal, something I've talked about for years. If people want to know how to do it, talk to Rudy Rudolph. Um, and now to see Rudy... Out of government service and into the private sector, and working with geospatial, uh, Rudy. I'm um, congratulations on your new position, and congratulations on being part of MV5. Yeah,
4: thank you. Good to be back. And uh, again, I, I got my credit my my uh, credit card out out, out, out again, <laughs> Peter. Every time you uh, compliment me, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you something here. Well, um, <laughs> it's <laughs> but you know, um, interesting story. You know, um, I, you know, I, I guess you know. My Carter County and myself, we've been sort of on the receiving end surveying for, you know, 20 years. And, um, and then I'll tell you a, a, a longer story later in the, in the, in the program, but, um, I've known the, Freemans uh, Freeman since, uh, before they started the, I'm uh, a company. I knew I'm uh, a Chris, uh, Freeman back in, uh, in a grad school, uh, at a different school. And so I've kind of been on the receiving end of surveying for a couple of decades, and now I'm on the giving end, and uh, and it's really great. It's great, great to be here.
0: Well, it's interesting. This is a very North Carolina-centered uh, organization at Geospatial, and of course, uh, uh, Rudy, your experience, uh, there is a lot of horsepower in the science and ocean science community in North Carolina. Uh, Kurt, tell us what is... What is it about NV5 that makes your company special when it comes to scientific uh, uh, monitoring, surveying, hydrographics, uh, geospatial data? Talk to us about and give our listeners an introduction to NV5, if you wouldn't mind.
3: Be happy to. Um, well, NV5 is a is a publicly traded company, um, one of the largest engineering firms in the world. Um, it, I work for NB5 Geospatial, which is a division of NB5, and uh, the geospatial division in and amongst itself is one of the largest geospatial companies in the world as well. And um, you work for a publicly traded company, you're always looking for growth and where where you could achieve, a gro- achieve growth. And uh, we started looking at adjacencies within our geospatial business, and um, hydrographic surveying um, certainly was an obvious adjacency for us, uh, from a market perspective. And, uh, Noah is one of our largest clients, um, within the division. And, um, we knew that we wanted to provide a, you know, a, a broader, uh, suite of services than what we were currently providing. And, uh, and the hydrographic surveying part of it was something we were not doing. And, um, um, it, it, it just started to make perfect sense. I've been working, uh, with Sloan's team for a number of years, um, we have partnered on some proposals before and, and certainly knew each other um, uh, for years. I think I first uh, talked to Chris and Sloan when they were first starting um, more than 15 years ago, and we started doing some seagrass mapping of the Outer Banks uh, using um, aerial imagery uh, to, to collect that for a bunch of local stakeholders. And so that's how long I've known them. And uh, it just became, you know, kind of obvious that, that you know, and that That um, geodynamics would be kind of our first choice, they were the the pick of the litter they 're kind of located in the perfect spot, and uh, they were growing at a at a phenomenal rate and um, you know all our checks was with Noah and with other clients where they had a fantastic reputation and we couldn 't be happier um, you know than the acquisition that that, it, that occurred last last March.
1: Well, that's certainly uh, the way you want to feel after uh, that sort of acquisition, coming, bring the, bringing the team together. Uh, it's certainly, I think, Peter, we, we can say, <laughs> not to say we're in the business, but it's a growth area. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, all around the American shoreline, as we said in the opening, uh, the ability to actually see, map, understand the physical... Uh, surrounding of your coastal area or your deep sea area, whatever the case may be, this is, the, this is kind of the, the, the benchmark of being able to then understand how we can adapt to climate change and how we can understand the way sea level rise and more powerful hurricanes are impacting us. And uh, this is no joke. And I know, uh, uh, Kurt, that you guys have already picked up some pretty... Um, impressive and ambitious mapping projects. And I was hoping we could uh, talk a little bit about some of the work you're doing. I understand that, for example, uh, and Rudy, you're going to have to jump in on this, but that we're going to be mapping the entire North Carolina coast. Uh, Who wants to begin on this one? This sounds like a a truly ambitious and and super cool mapping project.
3: Yeah, I'd be happy to start. And then Rudy can can certainly add to it. It's... um it's it's actually our second time we've mapped the entire North Carolina coast. And it, it really when we talked about NB5 geospatial, we are one of the largest uh players when it comes to the use of topo to yeah, I can almost say it. bathymetric LIDAR and that helps us map the near shore. Mm-hmm. Um and uh we were we were able to start doing that um as a result of a large NOAA project under um right at, soon after Hurricane Sandy hit the East Coast back in 2012. And that was the first time that we had gotten into topographic LIDAR. And uh, we made the investment back then and uh, actually um, uh, flew the coastline and collected LIDAR data from Myrtle Beach north um, to, to New York City, and including the south, um, the south shore of, of all Long Island uh, back in 2013-2014 time frame. And that was the first time that NOAA kind of changed the technology for which they mapped the, the official shoreline of the United States. And uh, um, they use that shoreline not only for uh, that shoreline information that goes onto to the nautical charts that NOAA produces um, and used for safety and navigation, but also used for all sorts of environmental applications as well. And since that time, um, we have uh, been collecting for NOAA, at collecting for local governments, collecting for people on both coasts doing a lot of riverine uh, collections as well. And, um, most recently, and the, the project that you referenced was with, uh, NOAA again, and it was supplemental funding that came as a result of hurricane, um, the hurricane Florence that just came through, um, I guess it's 2019. And we have collected that data and have finished processing it and it is in NOAA's hands and it should be available in the public domain. Um, Shortly. I, I, I don't, you'd have to talk to them about exactly when it's going to be released, but I would say probably sometime this year.
1: Absolutely incredible. And I just, I, I do want to butt in here and just ask Sloan, because you know, you, you co founded this company um, a while ago. And I'm, you know, over, I, I just, I'm thinking about how we'd like something as ambitious as mapping the entire North Carolina coast. Is something you need to be able to use modern technology to do this in any sort of effective manner? And I was wondering, Sloane, if you could explain um, the, the the modern technology, but also kind of the historic uh, maps and, and the way that this was done historically. Because I we've been mapping the coastline for a long time, but. Uh, our fidelity now, particularly about what's under the water, you know, we've always had the aerial, well, I shouldn't say always, but uh, certainly in the modern era, we've had aerial photography. There were ways to kind of observe the movement of the shoreline and, and other land water features. But uh, now we're talking about flying an airplane over the water and shooting a LIDAR uh, beam, I guess, down through the water onto the submerged seabed. That's, that seems like a hell of a lot more efficient. Sloan, could you speak to that uh, evolution?
2: Sure. Yeah, there's, there's, we've, come, we've come light years in, in the last hundred years. Um, when you look at nautical charts that, that NOAA puts out today all along the coastline, um, many people might not know that, that nautical charts are, might date from the 1930s or 40s. Um, that might be the most recent um, thorough data set in, in a coastal region. Uh, for example, we we just updated the nautical charts in the Chicago area in 2020, and those those charts did date to the 1940s uh, pr- prior to our survey. So when you're looking at uh, much of that charting data, it it literally might have been collected via lead line, where the ships just put out a single, you know, demarcated line, weighted, and then they they log these individual measurements, um, and then you know, even them out according to geological features to come up with the nautical chart. And then over time, they replaced the lead line with a single beam sonar, which would send, a, obviously, a single ping of sound. And then you measure the time that the sound takes to come back to the sensor. Um, that gives you a single point of depth measurement. And then really, it was um, not until the last 25-ish years that multi-beam sonar became um first of all, commercially available, but also um, that we had the computing systems to really um, process that much data. So a multi-beam sonar is, is a lot more like a LIDAR sensor in that it sends out um, a swath of, of sound pings um, through sonar acoustics. Um, and so you, you're collecting a um, like a perpendicular line of, of, of data points of asymmetry underneath the vessel. So it's almost like mowing the lawn. You can you can collect actually, a, you know, an area of dense enough sonar soundings that you, you know exactly what the bathymetry look, looks like. Um, and swath width, is a, is, this is important, but it's a, it's a function of water depth. And so when you're out deep, um, you can collect a lot of multi-beam bathymetry in a single pass. But when you're working in the shallower coastal regions, you are pretty, pretty limited. It's about four to eight times water depth, depending on a sonar system. And so it, it takes a lot of man hours to get multi-beam bathymetry in the near-shore coastal zone. And so I think that's why the, the meshing of the, the bath, bathymetric LIDAR with the multi-beam sonar acoustic um, acquisition styles is, is important because you know the shallow water is, is very labor-intensive from an acoustic standpoint. Yeah. And so if we can get data with the LIDAR, that's so much more efficient, and it gives you the, the quality of data that you want. Um, and obviously the closer you are to shore the more the more you have you know real-time change you know you have shoaling that matters for navigation and um, safety so it's really important to get those really near shore coastal zones mapped frequently whereas offshore it may not be you know as critical to get regular updates um now obviously lighter has some some disadvantages too it doesn't work past a certain depth it doesn't work if you've got really turbid water um, and so that's why both systems Come
0: into play kind of in, in the in the coastal zone you know i and and i know rudy uh, as a a purchaser of bathymetric information to manage uh the shoreline projects in carteret county and all of the engineers that i've worked with over the past 20 years doing sh- near shore uh, uh shoreline management beach nourishment projects having accurate and up-to-date bathymetric data is absolutely critical. And it really is incredible to see now that this information can be collected from an airplane flying over the coast if the conditions are correct. And uh, I wanted to ask you, Sloan, in, in your experience having Bennett Geodynamics for more than 20 years and this evolution in the technology, at what point did you become confident that the LIDAR data for bathymetry was reliable and accurate enough to use in project design and assessment of complicated multi-million dollar projects? Was there a point where you said, you know what, this technology is functional, can work? Can you talk about that time? Because this is fairly new. It
2: is fairly new. I think I, I think I would I would obviously I, I guess I would caveat this as saying that I am not the technical data specifications and standards person at the company, so um, I view things more from a coastal environmental ma- uh, management lens, and so. So, so I would say that somebody has certainly checked to make sure the data is <laughs> we <laughs> hope so, but If not me. No,
0: <laughs> I think i, I got to say our friends <laughs> at no, have got, if they're, if they're purchasing it, uh, Kurt, can you comment on that about, about the innovation of, of bathymetric data collection with, with LiDAR? Uh, how long has NV5 been involved in that particular service?
3: Sure. Absolutely. So we started, we started doing the work in 2012. So it's, it's really only we've only really had it about ten years um, that doesn't sound like a long time, but I think we are on our fourth generation systems, so what? that's how fast the technology changes um you know as as upgrades happen and and improvements to the lasers happen and, and uh and certainly um the 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 i t back end part of it from a processing perspective that workflow has changed dramatically in the last ten years. But about the 2012 time frame um, the sensors were able to be miniaturized um, and what I mean by, mean by being able to min- miniaturize is you know you could you could always put a sensor on a very large airplane let's say a dc3 <laughs> or 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 a you know a, it was on a dash eight at one point and and the co- it became cost prohibitive to use the technology in everyday use for a lot of uh, state and local governments um, it would only really um, have or make sense back before two thousand and twelve um, when when uh you know a, a hydrographic office you know working for a national government would a- ask for for um, a very large large area uh, mm-hmm. to be collected that 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 act that had actually started to make Financial sense. So being be, able be, because to, of
0: the cost of the platform, flying a DC three or a Dash eight jet to collect data is thousands of dollars an hour. I guess is what you're exactly saying. exactly. <laughs> and
3: so we're, you know, what we currently fly our uh, our sensors on on a, a single engine caravan, and so that gives the that brings the cost down by about one third of what it used to be. Um, you know, back uh, prior to 2012, and that had to do with you know the manufacturers you know having some technical breakthroughs and being able to to bring the technology to work in at a, a more affordable price hey tyler so i'm just wondering when are we going to get to
0: a bathymetric lidar on a drone because without the plane at all is, is that a foreseeable i don't know well I, drones I, everything's drones right
1: let's direct that to uh <laughs> to our guests when uh sloan surely would have the answer to this one are we moving toward? Because that is what we—that is—that is the direction that I'm seeing in the world. Is that uh, we, these things are getting smaller and smaller, more and more uh, accessible? I mean, shoot, I, I, cities, municipalities are now uh, have drones yeah. that they're flying, mapping their dune systems with, and so uh, yeah. Are we are we able to lidar with a, a, a drone platform yet?
2: Certainly. Um from a terrestrial lidar uh, sensor standpoint we um we actually deploy those on the beaches already uh we we will mount them on an on atv for example to get a really accurate elevation model of, of everything that's sub on the beach so from the dunes down to the down to the water line. um and and obviously that we can mesh that with the the bathymetry coming from single beamer sonar sensors um and they they do have a bathymetric lidar uh pucks that they are beginning to to use on on drone technology, um, there's a there's an accuracy concern here, right? You want to make sure that you're using the sensor that's going to give you the accuracy you need, and so um, obviously NOAA charting standards are are pretty uh, pretty high, and so I think I don't know that the fully miniaturized sensors are are to charting spec yet, but um, certainly they're 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 progressing.
0: So Rudy, now, oh, uh, go oh, ahead, Kurt.
3: Yeah, I would just add that. Uh, for Sloan, I would just add that we we get these requests all the time, and and um, I I think we're we're a lot closer. Um, really, part of it is that the commercial payload is currently restricted by the FAA, ah. and so once you put um, a, a miniaturized bathymetric lidar sensor on there, you're going to need the inertial measurement unit as well. You get to the point where the payload is so intense that that you know. Uh, and having to come under that 55 pound threshold, um, that, that you're only able to be up there for a couple minutes before you have to land again. And, and it, it becomes so intensive, right. um, in, in terms of being able to turn it around that, that it's problematic, but, but a heavy payload drone, um, is in use today and can be in use today. Um, and Regal is one of the manufacturers that developed, has developed, um, really a, uh, a, a commercial sensor that, that meets the, the, uh, the, the specifications that, that, that one just mentioned.
0: You know, Rudy, in your days as a local government official and manager of a countywide shoreline management program, uh, data was critical. I know to the program that you operated now that you're in the private sector with the folks who do the monitoring work, um, why is it? What what should local government officials facing shoreline management issues understand about NV five and geodynamics? Uh, tell us about the what you have in your experience as a local government guy having to run the programs. What is it that they should know about these service packages that are now available?
4: Yeah, well, I mean, it just kind of uh, to show. I mean, when we started. I guess you know um, it was you know you see you uh, get you know a, a couple of folks in in a, in a, in a wetsuit and a rod and a level and you right you, you you almost make them drown and you know <laughs> and the levels crooked and you're trying to get um, I mean the rods crooked and you are getting bad you know measurements to now where as sort of Sloan and, and Kurt was saying the kind of, the, the the platforms and the sensors now um are so you know what's called accurate that it just takes it just kind of takes all that all that all that kind of mystery out so I mean obviously that's that that's a, I'm important I think on the kind of back end too, the kind of modeling um if you will and the kind of uh, contouring packages you know the ultimate goal at least for a lot of this work not you know all is to uh, create a, a digital elevation model of the subsurface um, and even that kind of back end uh, processing power has has really improved and, you know, you need to stay on the cutting edge or else you're going to or else you're going to lose that type of data quality and also you're going to lose a lot of um, opportunities to make to making you know, a really good good decisions. And also too, you know you can see the data being used, besides for this assessment of, of change, you can see it being used for kind of a, con, a construction purposes, you know, before dredging, after dredging, uh, type of type of, uh, uh, projects and also too, you see a lot, um, you know, modeling how, for instance, you know, the waves that come in and, you know, wash up and down the coast, uh, at circ, stuff like that. Again, the kind of base of that is having really awesome, you know, bathymetry, so, you know, you could properly model, all the waves and currents are coming in. So, I mean, I think that's what what kind of we offer and where the, you know, technology is uh, really going.
1: I, I just, I have to say, I, I really, it's, it's easy to understand because uh, basically the future here is that uh, we are going to have, there's going to be uh, companies out there that are going to take all this data and analyze it and model. And, you know, as a... As a uh, shoreline community or as a county, uh, Rudy, in your old job, uh, you had to respond to real-world conditions that were happening on your shoreline. And I think over the course of your career, you witnessed a transition from what was largely kind of... uh, kind of mystical, you kind of had to read the tea leaves <laughs> of the shoreline. Yeah, that's a hot spot. Oh, it's always a hot yeah. spot. I think that's because they put a port in over there, you know. There's a lot of kind of, you know, crazy, <laughs> crazy... Reasonable but, guessing, I Yeah, say. just reasonable guessing. But still guessing. Yeah, but over time, you know, the technology has become available and the costs have come down where mm-hmm. you can get to know... It. Rudy, I would love it if you have an example of how this more uh, complete data picture picture uh changed uh the way you did your job when you were uh managing that shoreline
4: yeah i mean i'll give you a good example so i mean <clears throat> you, we were actually just you know talking about it so it went from you know rod and level to um you know single single beam uh i'm walking the uh, transects you know you do a transect every thousand feet along the, along the shoreline mm-hmm. um which is great but you know, obviously, you would you would sort of like to have more um, resolution in between the transects. And now we got the lidar um, that can see basically in between the transects. We can we can have, we got the multi beam now that can see in between in between the transects. So when you're dealing with a 25 mile long island and you're trying to locate, wondering why. Uh, 500 foot zone is sort of eroding more than others and why all your nourishment events are triggered because of that 500 foot zone, <laughs> um, having, having, you know, all these, you know, tools has, has, you know, made, has made the, the, the why and, and what you do with it, um, a lot yeah, easier, or even, even, even I mean, I'm achievable in the first place.
0: Yeah, I think that the 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 downstream side of this equation, with this new technology, multi-beam sonar, uh, sonar, and the capacity to gather data at this level of density, uh, the big challenge is how the heck to process it. Uh, Tyler, when I was at the General Land Office and we had we started the uh, the geospatial group, which was a couple of guys and some computers uh, and very very early lidar. Data we couldn't actually access and process that information to use it to evaluate management's decisions. It was just so much information. Uh, Kurt, can you talk about this part of it? I mean, the reason why this data is usable is because now the capacity to handle it, both in terms of managing the data and incorporating it into uh, complex models, is is it has been has been tackled. Um, what does it take to use the information that uh, that geodynamics can produce for clients out
3: there sure so uh, you know we we are oftentimes dealing with the raw data and and uh and processing the raw data into derivative products for the client to use and a lot of those products the derivative products um, like as 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 Rudy just mentioned you know maybe it 's a digital elevation model um you know that it, they have actually a lower density associated with it, um, so they're actually easier to handle and easier to work with um, for a lot of uh, modeling applications um, and a lot or environmental applications uh, for instance um, you know even even the shoreline that we make for NOAA is is essentially a cartographic product at the end of the day, and so we simplify the the the, the density of that data set uh, because it's eventually going to become A cartographic product. So yes, um, our online storage is something that I never imagined was possible (laughs) 10 years ago. And a lot of our clients are now moving those data stores to the cloud. And we're um, right there along with them providing enterprise GIS services uh, to help them get to the cloud as well. And so, you know, it kind of broadens kind of for us to be able to do everything we can to help our clients you know it, it's broadened our technical capabilities um in order to be able to assist them
1: no doubt about it because that's the other half of it is the yeah. uh the tools actually making tools that are usable with all this data and one of the cool things that i think NOAA is doing in buying the collection of all this data and, and others not just NOAA, but uh mm-hmm. that you know when the government goes out and collects the data and makes it public all of a sudden, you, yeah. there, you open that up for a whole new genre of enterprise in the computer learning, crunching, modeling, prediction, universe that is ex- that 's actually super useful for uh, the, you know that 's actually kind of the gold yeah. at the end of the rainbow that you 're looking for, but you can't get there if yeah. you don't have the data collection built in first. Um, you know, and, and I, I can't think of any more exciting space right now on the American shoreline where this is really coming to bear, Peter, than the offshore wind industry, yeah. which is getting ready to uh, construct. I would say, it's, I think it's fair to say that this is going to be the largest marine construction project, really, maybe in history. I, 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 forgive me, I don't know what well, else to compare I mean, it to. Well, a, a
0: I, I mean, as a program, I think if you look at what Boehm's doing nationally uh, – yeah, I think there's the investment in offshore wind. Unlike uh, unlike oil and gas offshore, which is geographically in the Gulf of Mexico, that's the region. A little bit off the west coast, of course, in California, back in your territory in Ventura County, uh, Tyler. Right. But wind power uh, expansion in the Northeast uh, and in North Carolina, off the North Carolina coast, is under full consideration now. Uh, on the west coast, in the Pacific Northwest, and off of California. Uh, Kurt, have you had the opportunity or been asked to be involved with uh, the development or evaluation of wind power opportunities, or do you expect that market
3: to be part of the future for NV5 and geodynamics? Great question, and happy to answer this one. Um, I, I wish I could take full credit when we were actually looking at geodynamics from a purchase perspective to say that we were absolutely eyeing the offshore wind market. Instead, it just was a huge benefit of actually buying um, geodynamics because they were just starting to get into offshore wind um, and being able to provide hydrographic services uh, for, uh, for the developers. And, um, and we've had some major success in the last year being able to do that. And, and since um, 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 acquiring geodynamics, we've also made some very significant investments. Uh, we just purchased uh, two additional major vessels, Uh, for us to to, uh, capture uh, as much of the offshore wind market as we can. And I'm actually going to ask Sloane if she can kind of talk about those investments and some of the stuff that's really been going on um, in terms of increased capabilities uh, over the last year.
2: Sure, absolutely. And and it is a very exciting time, I think, along the entire Atlantic coast and and like you mentioned, I think soon the Pacific and, and Gulf Coast as well. Um, And I'll also say as background, you know, we have been working toward um, offshore wind surveys for a decade, supporting BOEM and and some smaller projects, and that's one of the reasons that this um, acquisition by NV5 was -hmm. such a great fit for us at this time. Um, Offshore wind developers are, that's a huge project, and they they rely on um, suppliers with really, really robust legal and insurance and health and safety systems. And so as a small business, we were finding that we were um, having a harder time competing with, with that kind of big game. And so um, by becoming part of a bigger entity that was already active in the coastal environment and already active in, in the power generation um, arena onshore, uh, it was really an immediate, an immediate benefit to our, our program for offshore wind. Um, and so I'll say that our focus is really in the, the nearshore cable landing area for now. Okay. Um, that, so it takes a lot to get, you know, obviously to get construction going offshore, but then it is also a, a mesh of different coastal uses as you thread the needle and bring the, the actual power cabling in from the offshore uh, wind farm, and you have to bring it to land somewhere. Um, so many of these projects will have, you know, a, a plethora of different options that they, they have to evaluate the um the geophysical the, the uh, subsea of those, of those landing zones. And then they also have to consider, um, for example, is there a, a, a permitted dredged material site right offshore? Because you obviously do not want to be dredging anywhere near you're going, where you're going to run this cable. So there are zones that you have to avoid, whether it's because of um, artificial reefs, or offshore dredging or recreational uses. So there's really a, um, I don't know, it's a, coastal GIS is a, it's a perfect tool to really evaluate all of these things. Yep. Um, yeah, and, and it's, it, it, to Kurt's point though about the vessels, it, it does take a very specific vessel to acquire the, the quality of data that's required for that type of construction. Um, They're very meticulous about their environmental permitting, and uh, they require all of the sensors to be uh, collected simultaneously. And so in order to do that, you really have to have enough deck space for four to three to five towed sensors uh, plus hull mounted sensors and the people to operate those with uh, marine mammal observers as well. So uh, we have we have been doing this work on very small vessels for very shallow water. And then we have currently a 60-foot vessel that we, we can work uh, the near shore zone um, very successfully with for geophysical surveys. But beginning later this year, we'll be taking um, possession of a, a about a 65-foot uh, catamaran from the Pacific Northwest um, that's got a great a-frame off of the back and it will it'll immediately kind of plug into our acquisition plans uh, for any kind of near shore uh, cabling surveys but also for offshore sediment resource surveys Um, which is a similar spread of instrumentation and then the other really exciting opportunity is that we're actually going to custom we are currently uh, building a custom vessel from all-american marine uh, and that's going to be about a 75 foot uh, aluminum mm-hmm. catamaran research platform that will be custom designed really to meet all the needs for offshore wind uh, geophysical surveys. Man,
0: you know, it's got to be a blast, Sloan, to, uh, to, <laughs> to, be, to be part of MV5 and a company. An airplane one day, a vessel
1: the next. Yeah, uh, I they love got, it.
0: got the horsepower to, to, to put these assets in place yeah. and to really do the kind of work that you know you're capable of doing. Uh, it's got to be a bit of a thrill having grown uh, geodynamics. I guess you and your co-founder over 20 years ago to see it mature to this point. It's gotta be a bit of a personal thrill for you.
2: It is very, it's a very exciting time. Um, And it's, it's a, it's a, it a coming together of several things. We have an amazing team of really dedicated and passionate coastal scientists. And so this work is possible because of the work that they do. but yes, to suddenly be able to put the resources behind mm-hmm. that team to really go after work in the way that we in the way that we attack all of our work, right? Which is a very high focus on quality, on safety, obviously, but on, on really kind of just a problem solving um, approach, like a, a a research science approach to answering these questions. You know, we, we really do want to find the best way to get the best data for our clients.
0: Man, I love it. It's so it's so important for all the local government officials out there to listen to the podcast, Tyler. We have a bunch of them and our friends in DC. We have a big listenership, and and Noah, I know Noah's familiar with you guys, and uh, has obviously and boom, let's and not forget Bohm, our long-term Bohm. relationship with our and the Corps of Engineers as well. Absolutely, uh, the federal agencies that that have worked with mv 5 and Geodynamics, but for local government officials, it's great to to get a feel for and start to understand how much work it is, to do quality science in order to make project development decisions that make sense. And uh, when you're talking about offshore wind, I think, Sloan, I like the mention of the landings of the cables and the power power infrastructure that goes with offshore wind. You know, having somebody like Rudy in the stack, who's uh, worked on these issues from a variety of perspectives, Uh, talking about the reconciliation, Tyler, of uh, economic interests on the American shoreline. What do you do with fisheries and all of these ports and all of these other uses? This is kind of very important.
1: Well, and, and the trends are, in, in my opinion, that we are only going to be monitoring and mapping and observing the changes in our marine environment more and more closely as time goes on. And, that, and that's yeah. because the, uh, blue, the, the the new blue economy, whatever you want to call it, this, yeah. this, this new industries are being born in the ocean space. And they're, as we know, everything is interconnected. They overlay, they impact, they affect other interest groups that are just as motivated and interested, and right. they have to coexist. And the only way that we can manage that, those types of things and maximize our efficiency in the ocean and our sustainability is to be measuring constantly. And so, what I think that yeah. uh, the audience should understand. Uh, Not only if you're interested in in, uh, procuring uh, NV5 services, but also maybe interested in buying some stock. Because I'm telling you, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen, this is is going to be... I need to look it up. You think about it with offshore wind, you have the initial surveying that the government's going to do. And then, of course, the actual group that is going to do the construction, the, the operator is going to do an additional oh, yeah. survey. And then henceforth, from all time forward, as long as that stuff's out there, it will need to be monitored. That's going to be in, yeah. additional surveying. So there is, uh, needless a gro- to say, gro- a lot industry. of work to be done here. I imagine those vessels will be well used. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, Kurt, can you comment on that? I do think that as we move forward, and as Tyler said, the reconciliation of the economic interests along the American shoreline and the expansion of the blue economy, we're talking about some very technical issues. Where does the aquaculture go? Where are the fisheries resources? What about the offshore sediment management areas or, or, or sand source areas? Uh, it's really complicated, and you have to know where everything is. It seems like this is the... This is the, the key part of what NV5 and geodynamics is all about,
3: it seems. Absolutely. And, um, and we, follow the, you know, um, we follow the policy side of the, of the equation really closely. Um, we've kind of um, been asked to, at one point for input with, uh, with uh, the federal national ocean policy that was originally uh, put out by the Trump administration, but has also been endorsed by the Biden administration. It seems to be uh, one of the things in the world... That, that, that seems to be bipartisan, and that is recognizing that ocean exploration and the mapping of, uh, uh, of the continental shelf needs to be a priority uh, for the country uh, for a lot of the reasons you just described, uh, whether it's aquaculture um, or whether it's uh, um, uh, coastal resiliency. Uh, all of those things um, really need to be be looked at as we um, all deal with, with the issue of climate change. It, it is uh, affecting... Um, our, our coastlines. And, um, you know, we go out of our way to talk about um, when you're talking about inundation, inundation issues, coastal inundation or flood flooding, um, especially on the East coast. um, If you don't have good data in order especially in the near shore, um, how can you model exactly um, what the surge will be when a hurricane comes in? And, um, you know, we, going back to the project that you we've talked at the beginning of of the episode about, uh, you know, mapping North Carolina. Um, this last go around was one of the first times that that they had mapped accurately mapped areas of of the Pamlico sound and that sound, um, those soundings in the sound, uh, were back in captain cook's days. I mean, they had not been, um, surveyed since the civil war. And so, um, You know, that has a lot to do with a lot of flooding that that's that's not on the outer banks, but it's on the uh, on on the on the western shore of Pamlico Sound um, that happens often uh, when a hurricane uh, blows through North Carolina. And so that's exciting to me, being able to make a difference, um, you know, for a lot of people, um, hopefully that they have better information and can make smarter decisions when it comes to, um, you know, what's going on. That's the trick of the trade, uh,
0: good decisions based on sound science. We hear that all the time, and this is how sound science gets generated, It's companies like NV5 and Geodynamics uh, who have the expertise and the assets and the resources to really uh, use this cutting-edge technology to take a close look at what the hell's happening in the environment. Um, I just got to ask, uh, uh, Kurt, if you, you mentioned Pimlico Sound and the old maps. You know, NOAA recently, I guess it was last year, Tyler, uh, Quit producing the paper uh, nautical charts, charts yeah. and it's all going digital. Uh, there's got to be some folks out there collecting those old charts. They'll, they'll be they'll be on uh, the road show on PBS in
1: about fifty years. <laughs> they'll, they'll probably be worth money. <laughs> they'll be guess. worth
0: someone will have a Pimlico, sound, yeah. you know, 1903, you know, bathymetric map uh, on on the road show. But I'm I'm just curious, you know, when you when you're updating the technology, and Sloan, you can comment on this too that. Uh, I just wonder when you when you compare it to what the old folks did with the lead lines and the and single beam sonar and you really get down to the accuracy level that uh, geodynamics can provide now um, how close were the old cats you know how good were they Um, do you see things that they didn't see Uh,
3: is there an example of gee whiz they just didn't quite get that right yeah i'll let sloan comment on this as well but yes especially in the near shore we always we occasionally not occasionally we we typically, you know, if we were to map the the whole coastline and we find things that were not on on the, on the charts. Um, and there's a process for identifying that with, with NOAA and, and immediately and having them verify it. We don't, we don't, you know, that's, they are the authoritative decision maker on what goes on the chart. And, uh, but we certainly involve them. And, you know, I, I, I think that Sloan might have in her back pocket one or two <laughs> shipwrecks that maybe she hasn't told anybody about.
2: <laughs> well, I, I will neither confirm nor does not know <laughs> no, at all. We, we won't ask. We do slow. find things all, all the time. I mean, I, I think that's the biggest thing is it's a question of detail. Um, it's hard to say, you know, when you're looking at a, a resurvey that's 80 years later, whether, whether a, an incremental change in actual depth is, um, is is real change or right. uh, you know more likely a, a, a greater accuracy in how we handle you know tide uh, tide and other data transformations but but the detail is really where the change is I, I, you know the the chicago map for example that we just updated we found you know hundreds hundreds of significant items that were on the the seafloor around the, the the shoreline of chicago and that includes <laughs> Is there, is, um, there,
0: there treasure, is there a treasure chest? <laughs> <laughs>
2: there, there could be some, some old bootleg uh, alcohol, I think. There were several cars that, you know, must have been driving over the ice at some point and they're now sitting on the bottom and, you know, cranes and barges and um, air, airplanes that had taken off from the airstrip uh, there downtown Chicago. So there, there's a lot of detail that's missed in the old, old charts. Um, but to emphasize that really where that detail helps Capture real changes in the is in the the shoreline where you have shoaling, and um, and like North Carolina inlets are the, a great example of this. There's mm-hmm. the Beaufort Inlet might change the navigable path, you know, from from one month to the next. And so, really being able to get detailed resurvey of, of really rapidly changing areas, I think is is where, um, where multi beam especially and and bathymetric lidar. Excel because you can get a really quick update to um, to an area that might challenge that recreational commercial traffic otherwise
1: absolutely there's there's no doubt uh, there's a lot of uh, opportunities going on here, and I do want to look a little bit to the future. Uh, you know it's we just had the big uh, infrastructure uh, bipartisan bill. Yeah. Uh, I imagine that there are some exciting opportunities. Uh, Kurt, if you wanted to talk a little bit about um, what's coming down uh, the pipe for uh, NV5 geospatial.
3: Certainly, we're following um, uh, the infrastructure bill or what they're now calling IIJA, uh, which is um, not exactly sure what the acronym stands for, but it's Infrastructure Something Act. Um, the That bill has a lot of money uh, going to NOAA for uh, cultural resiliency. And um, the real driver there is the National Weather Service. Uh, they do a tremendous amount of modeling on inundation and uh, coastal inundation and, and flooding. And they need um, better data um, in low-lying areas, especially in underserved areas. And so um, the state of Maine, the state of North Carolina, parts of the Texas coast, um, our, Louisiana, those areas are considered underserved in some in some areas and in need of additional mapping. And uh, we are expecting and positioning ourselves um, to try to capture some of that work. And we're talking between uh, the, the potential for LIDAR uh, in the near shore and maybe some offshore um, uh, acoustics work, uh, upwards to $100 million worth of work coming out of NOAA over the next five years. Wow. And so we're, we're very, very focused on that. And then Rudy in particular is very focused on the ports and waterways part of the infrastructure bill. Um, cause the Corps of Engineers is going to be doing a tremendous amount of dredging, uh, of, of waterways and ports uh, over the next five years with, with infrastructure bill money. And so, uh, we're very focused on, on, on tracking where those large, uh, dredging projects are, are, are going to be uh, needed because, uh, uh, the need for a third-party surveyor uh, also goes hand-in-hand hand with that dredging.
0: It's the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, IIJA, $1.2 trillion in that bill. And it's it's great to see the investment that the country is now making in basic infrastructure, and particularly in coastal areas and ports. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm stunned. In my 25 years of working in uh, coastal management and coastal related issues. I have never seen so much money available for projects yeah. around the American shoreline. Tyler, uh, you know, the, the, the disaster supplemental funds here in Texas, uh, the GO funds, which are derived from offshore oil and gas leases, the Infrastructure Investment Act, the Port Infrastructure Grant Program. I mean, there are billions of dollars because there's billions of dollars of work and problems to solve. It's a good thing to be geodynamics right now.
1: Well, and uh, you know we're in this together. I mean, I think that there's a reason why it's in the public's interest, I have to say, in, yeah. in my heart, to yep. make these historic investments. We are in an unprecedented time. We are confronting climate change on the American shoreline. That's really why we do this podcast and why we started yep. ASPN, ultimately, Peter, is to, yep. is to start speaking the same language and get to know these experts like the mapping experts that are helping us understand the near shore environment and beyond. Because ultimately that will help us understand sea level rise and flooding. And uh, it'll help us map weather and be more predictive. And, um, you know, God willing, we'll be able to figure some of this stuff out. And these investments will be investments and that they will mature and uh, make us a a better, more sustainable society. Couldn't agree with you more on that. Kurt, if you would, folks
0: out there who are listening to the show and want to better understand the services offered by uh, NV5 and Geodynamics, um, how can folks get in touch with you? What should they know about uh, the company and how to work with you guys?
3: Well, we certainly have a website. Both NV5 um, has has a, a landing page for the geospatial services that we provide that includes the hydrospatial that we've been talking about today. But the Geodynamics website is also still uh, live and still available uh, to, to 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 reference directly, um, and certainly, um, you know, I don't know if you want us to leave our contact information. No, 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 no. Happy no. to talk <laughs> to anybody.
1: But let me let me just uh, We can put it in show notes. Uh, let me let <laughs> me just go. say that uh, nv5geospatial.com or geodynamicsgroup.com are will both get you there.
3: Correct. Yes.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, it is
0: Kurt Allen. He is the vice president at NV5 Geospatial Hydrospatial. Uh, Sloane Freeman, the founder, co-founder of Geodynamics, now an NV5 company. She is the director of operations for Geodynamics and our good friend and longtime uh, buddy Rudy Rudolph, who is the hydrospatial project leader at Geodynamics and also the business development director. Uh, what a great a company. Uh, this is the rock solid foundation of good coastal management is great data and it's companies like MV5 and Geodynamics that do the work. Uh, we just want to thank you guys on behalf of all of the listeners of ASPN and the readers of Coastal News Today, uh, Kurt, for uh, your decision to to be a supporter. Of uh, of what we're doing, we can't tell you how much we appreciate it. We absolutely have to have this kind of support, so we thank you so much. And it was a pleasure, pleasure to have you on the network to talk to our listeners and introduce your fine, fine company to our 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 folks out there.